All right, good morning, sleep-in service. Good to see you guys. Glad that you're here. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, one of the teaching pastors here. And we have been doing a series in the book of Genesis. We thought we might get through most of it. Not even close. So we're going to finish up Genesis 16. The cool thing about being around here for a long period of time is next summer we'll fire it up and we'll start in Genesis 17. And uh, it's just a great opportunity to be able to work work through one of the most controversial books in the entire Bible. So while you're turning to Genesis 16 in the white pages of your Bible, and I call it the white pages because not many people venture into this part of the scriptures, I want to bring you up to date in case you missed any of the weeks. So, so far, Here's what we've covered. Genesis chapter 1, God creates and it's all good. Genesis chapter 2, God creates a man and a woman, hosts a naked wedding, and at the naked wedding, God strikes a template for relationship, marriage relationship that's still in place today. Genesis chapter 3, God opens a door to man's free will. And Adam and Eve make choices and decisions and they experience consequences and and boundaries. And, And the same free will that they used to walk away from God, you used exactly the same free will to walk towards God this weekend. And I'm really glad that you're here. Genesis chapter 4. We find sibling rivalry, hotly debated sacrifices, murder, and once again we see God's grace begin to cover people who make bad choices. And we see this relentless plan of love that God keeps reaching and covering and pursuing. Genesis chapter 5. There's a genealogy that covers all of Adam and Eve's kids. Kenan, Enosh, Methuselah, Enoch, the list goes on and on, all the way up to a guy by the name of Noah. In Genesis chapter 6, one of the strangest chapters in all of the Bible, we have angel sex, giant offspring, a new definition of a hero, and instructions from God to build an ark. Genesis chapter 7, God hits the reset button on the entire earth with a global flood because the Bible says that man was perpetually evil all of the time. Genesis chapter 8, the water goes down. No one in his family emerged. God begins to create again. And then in Genesis chapter 9, the hero of Genesis chapter 8 ends up drunk and naked, and we see the pain of human choices. Genesis chapter 10, lots of names and places. Genesis chapter 11, people build a monument to themselves. God says, not so fast. Puts a glitch in the Google translator, and the rest is history. Genesis chapter 12, we're introduced to Abram, who we all know as Abraham, and his story starts off so good. He's got a beautiful covenant with God. And then in Genesis 13 and 14, he lies. He has trouble with a lot and a lot. If you don't know what that means, you should go back and read the story yourself. And then in Genesis 15 last week, we saw God cut a covenant with Abram. We saw God walk a blood trail alone. And that covenant brings Jesus into the center of the story. And it all makes sense why years later in the New Testament, Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And now in Genesis 16, Abram's going to go around the cycle again. So we've been throwing up this cycle each week so that you've been able to see this is kind of how it works in relationships. God creates and then God connects with what he created and then we make a decision to sin and because of that decision, relationship breaks. But God doesn't give up on us. Even in those moments, God restores, he redeems and he begins to create again. And so far, we are batting a thousand. Every human being we've met so far got stuck down here in this corner. Adam and Eve sinned and broke relationship. Noah did exactly the same thing. And this week, Abram is gonna take it to a whole new level. And to get some context for this, I need you to understand, 60% of religions in the world trace their heritage back to this guy, Abraham. And today we're going to watch him take God's plan A, throw it to the side, and settle for plan B. And we're all going to enter into a moment of pain when we realize that we all do exactly the same 
thing. Let me refresh your memory as to plan A. We ran into it in Genesis chapter 12. The Bible says this, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So God comes and says, Abram, you're going to be a physical dad to a few. You're going to be a spiritual dad to millions. And I don't need you to be worrying about this little detail of the fact that you don't have any kids yet. Just relax and take a deep breath. Stick with me. I've got this under control. You righteous man of faith, here's your plan A. Thus saith the Lord. Now you've got my promises and my pledge, so I just need you to be patient and hang in there with me and trust my plan and trust my timing. And then we run smack into plan B in Genesis chapter 16. And it's going to get really uncomfortable. The Bible says, and you should read it to make sure that I'm not lying to you. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, who'd borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Awkward. And here's the choice again, right? The choice between plan A and plan B. The choice between the ungodly and the godly. The choice between doing it God's way or doing it your way. And this spiritual giant, this patriarch, this righteous man of God chooses the Jerry Springer option. Thank you very, very much. 11.15, you're the only service that got that so far. I don't know what that says, but you are my people. I love you, okay? Let's keep reading. Here's what happens. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. What? So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah took his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. And he slept with Hagar, and she conceived. Now before you just go, I can't believe that Abram did that. <laughs> Can any of you think back to a time in your life when you just went with somebody else's stupid idea? Some of you are just like, yeah, that's my whole teen years right there, right? <laughs> Just following along, making bad choices. This is the wrong choice, Abraham. And we're faced with the same dilemma every single day. The godly choice or the ungodly choice. What are you going to choose? So let's get it straight right from the beginning and answer the question. How do I know the difference between God's plan A and my plan B? Well, it's really quite simple. I put it in your outline. If the plan is God-promised, God-centered, God-glorifying, and God-orchestrated, it's plan A. Okay? It's plan A. That's why God shows up in Abraham's life and said, Abram, this is not about you. This is about my relentless plan for loving people, and you're going to get a front row seat. So here's what you need to do. You need to trust my timeline, my travel plans, my trials, and my victories in my plan, because if you want to experience hope, joy, peace, and love in your life, you're going to be in the center of my plan, because that's the best place for you. God wants us to know the best plan you can follow is God-promised, God-centered, God-glorifying, and God-orchestrated, which means this. If that's plan A, this is what plan B sounds like. If the plan is self-driven, self-centered, self-glorifying, or self-orchestrated, then it's plan B. So if you've ever heard, thought, or insinuated anything that sounds like God loves me and I have a wonderful plan for my life, you've been living plan B your whole existence. 
And some of you are like, oh no. A lot of us just realized we're manufacturing our plan for our life and asking God to endorse at the bottom, and that's not the way it works. We create moments in our lives where we just think, I've got a better idea, and I'm just so sick and tired of waiting for plan A, so I'm going to create my own plan B. The second my plan for my life takes precedence over God's plan for the life that He gave me, in that moment I've declared myself king of my own universe, and I'm guilty of worshiping at the feet of an idol called me. Now the question is, why do we do it? Because we all do. Why do we create a plan B? And I think the answer is simple. It's because we're sick and tired of waiting for plan A. I mean, Abram's been waiting on the promise of plan A for 10 years. It's been a decade since he got the promise. So think about that. 10 years of pacing, tapping his foot, drumming his fingers, waiting, hoping, Ten years of, of, of trying to make a baby, which is really not that bad of a deal if you're married. And you guys are so self-righteous. It's just like, I can't believe Pastor Grant actually said that. That's just weird. Okay, so stick with me. Ten years of checking the monthly calendar. Did something happen this time around? And so because they've been waiting for ten years, Sarah takes matters into her own hands. Now don't judge her. Don't judge her because I'm going to remind you, Abram, this patriarch, this, this picture of godly leadership responds to Sarah's plan B and go, duh, okay. They're tired of waiting. Can we admit that we all have a problem with waiting? I mean, just think about the words, right? Impatient, non-trusting, frustrated, irritated, entitled, immature, foolish, selfish. The list goes on and on and on. And they all describe what happens inside of the human spirit when we just get sick and tired of waiting. So I spend a lot of time in waiting rooms because my wife has to go to a lot of eye appointments. And I study human behavior while I'm there. And, and this, I, I've learned this. People are hilarious when they actually have to wait. When they have to wait, they wander around, they sigh a lot, <laughs> they pace back and forth, they read, they groan, they complain, they sit in a chair, they change positions 15 times, they stew, they get angry, they get frustrated, they start working on plan B in their head. It's just like my appointment was at 2.30. I think if I run fast enough, I can get around the nursing station. I'm going to get back there to the doctor on my own. I'm going to self-diagnose my problem because I need to get out of here. I mean, after all, my appointment was at 2.30 and it's 2.31. I've lost a minute of my existence and I'm sick and tired of waiting for plan A because plan A was the appointment, so I'm going to go with plan B. So last week, I um, happened to find myself waiting, opened up my phone, and a friend of mine named John sent me, he just threw me a bone, because when I'm waiting, I like, to, I like to read. He was here last week when I showed you a picture of my three dogs, my sorry excuse for three dogs that if you put together, don't equal one real dog, and, and John's been here for many years, so he also knows my disdain for the opposite of a dog in the animal kingdom. Some of you know what that is. And it's not that I don't like cats. It's cats don't like me. I'm allergic to them. I blow up like a balloon anytime I'm in a room with a cat. And, and so he sent me this thing, and it has nothing to do with what we're preaching about this morning, but I'm going to read it anyway because I thought it was funny. So um, Adam and Eve said, Lord, while we were in the garden, you walked with us every day. Now we don't see you anymore. We're lonesome here, and it's difficult for us to remember how much you love us. And God said, I will create a companion for you that will be with you, who will be a reflection of my love for you so that you will love me even when you cannot see me. 
Regardless of how selfish or childish or unlovable you may be, this new companion will accept you as you are and will love you as I do in spite of yourselves. And God created a new animal to be a companion for Adam and Eve. And it was a good animal. And God was pleased. And the new animal was pleased with Adam and Eve. And he wagged his tail. (laughs) And Adam said, Lord, I've already named all the animals in the kingdom. And I can't think of a name for this new animal. And God said, I've created this new animal to be a reflection of my love for you. So his name will be a reflection of my own name. And you will call him Dog. And dog lived with Adam and Eve and was a companion to them and he loved them and they were comforted and God was pleased and dog was content and wagged his tail. And after a while it came to pass, an angel of the Lord said, Lord, Adam and Eve have become filled with pride and they strut and preen like peacocks and they believe they're worthy of adoration. Dog has indeed taught them that they are loved, but perhaps too well. So God said, I will create for them a companion who will be with them, who will see them as they actually are. And the companion will remind them of their limitations and they will know they are not always worthy of adoration. And God created Cat to be a companion to Adam and Eve. And Cat would not obey them. And when Adam and Eve gazed into Cat's eyes, they were reminded they were not supreme beings. And Adam and Eve learned humility and they were greatly improved. And God was pleased and Dog was happy and Cat didn't give a flying rip either way. There you go. One of my favorite authors, John Ortberg, says, Biblically, waiting is not just something we have to do while we're waiting to get what we want. Waiting is a process, a part of a process of becoming who God wants us to be. Apparently, Abram wanted to bypass the character development part of waiting, and the reason is because we all do. We just don't want to wait for plan A So we shift to plan B and we make it up all on our own. And when it doesn't work out, we get really, really frustrated. You know, there's a danger with taking spiritual matters into your own hands. And I want to remind you before, I'm not talking about the daily contingencies that you create. Okay, so in two weeks, my beautiful baby daughter is going to get married. And she's getting married outside. And we have a plan B in place just in case it rains. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about those spiritual moments when God has called you to a place and to a standard and you just decide you're sick and tired of waiting for that something to come into fruition. So you just go and do your own thing. And the Bible describes a danger to that. In Proverbs 19.3, the Bible says this, a person's own folly leads to their ruin and yet their heart rages against the Lord. So you get yourself into a situation because you create your own plan B. And the second it goes bad, God better get you out of it. And if he doesn't, you're ticked at him and you're ticked at everybody else. I mean, listen to Sarah after the fact. And don't forget this. It was her idea. The Bible says when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarah said to Abram, you're responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. Did you hear that? You're responsible for the wrong I'm suffering, even though it was her idea. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. I mean, in an instant, it's her idea, but it's you did this. It's Abe's fault. It's Hagar's fault. It's God's fault. It's everybody else's fault. And it all stemmed from one issue. They weren't patient enough to wait for plan A. 
So apparently while we're waiting, this is a bit of a big deal. So I gave you some ideas this morning that we're going to walk through the rest of Genesis 16. Hey, while you're in the waiting room, because every one of us needs to spend some time there. While you're in the waiting room, make sure you learn this. Trust that waiting time is never wasting time in God's plan. God doesn't waste time. It's too precious. While you're waiting on God, there's so much to learn and experience. There's so much character to develop. Shared with you before, Laurel and I have been waiting for a miracle in her eyes for for 28 years. And it's been difficult at times, but I'm going to tell you something. We together, we've learned so much about trust in the not yet. We've learned so much about perseverance in the meantime and in between time. We've learned so much about God's faithfulness in the not quite. We've learned so much about hope in the just stick with me, Grant Laurel. Stick with me. What does the Bible say about waiting? It says, but those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up like wings, with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. So for every one of you that's here today and you're waiting on plan A and it's getting, you're just, you're tempted. You're starting to think about what if I created my own plan B? Maybe you came to church this morning because God wanted to tap you on the shoulder and just simply say this, I haven't forgotten you. Stick with me. I still have a plan A for you. You're not wasting your time. You're trusting in God. Maybe you needed to hear that, and maybe you needed to hear this. If you're already in plan B, you need to know something. It's not easy for me to say. It's probably even more difficult for you to hear. If you're living plan B right now, it means you settled. You settled. But the beautiful thing is you can always come back to God's plan A for your life. Let's keep going. While you're in the waiting room, you need to refresh the lessons from Genesis 16. Here's one of the lessons that I pulled out of it. God's not your panic button, but boy, do I ever treat him like one. You know, isn't it interesting that you get quite a ways into Genesis chapter 16 before God's even brought into the conversation? Isn't that kind of funny how we do that, right? God's not brought into the conversation until I have a until I have a crisis. It's like, God, I need you to mind your own business and back away and you go do your own thing. But the second my plan A or my plan B actually starts not working, I'm going to pick up the bat phone and Jesus, you better be there for me. Even though I'm in the middle of my own consequences in a scenario that I designed because I just simply wasn't patient enough. I mean, it just lays it out for us here. Sarah brings Hagar to Abram. He agrees. She gets pregnant. And now there's regret. And there's regret for one reason. And it's always the reason we experience regret. Because sin always brings pain. 100% of the time. Can you imagine the tension in this tent? (laughs) Abraham and Sarah. Sarah and Hagar. Hagar and Abe. So what does Hagar do? She runs. Wouldn't you? I would see that as a viable option. She runs, but there's a lesson in the fact that she's running. Something that I think we all need to learn, especially if we've created a plan B on our own that's not going so well. And the lesson's this, if you want to heal the mess, you may have to go back through it. You may have to go back through it. Now stick with me through this section because I don't want you to make some bad conclusions. So Hagar runs. She's tired of the tension. And the Bible so beautifully paints it. You should read it for yourself. 
She's on a road. We're actually going to drive that road when we go to Israel next year. It's actually the road that you would take if you were going back to Egypt. Hagar runs, and she's out on the road, and, and the angel of the Lord shows up. Now, it's interesting. In the Old Testament, anytime it says an angel of the Lord shows up, it's actually an angel. But when it says the angel of the Lord shows up in the Old Testament, it's not just an angel. It's actually God himself. It's called a theophany. And here's what I love. In the middle of the mess, concocted by three different human beings, God shows up. God shows up. And we learn another lesson. In the middle of a self-created mess, God shows up and he sees you. I know it's Jesus in this moment because the Bible also teaches us that angels were not allowed to receive worship and in just a couple of seconds some worship's going to happen here. So in the middle of this plane, in the middle of this plan, in the middle of all of this agony, Jesus shows up and I love the very first thing that the angel of the Lord says to her. Hagar. He knows her name. Some of you needed to be reminded today that the God of the universe has not forgotten your name. He knows you, what road you're on, and he knows how the, le- the depths that you've gone to to create a plan B, he knows. But we've been learning this about God's relentless plan, right? If you run, he'll chase you because he loves you. And I love this question, where have you come from and where are you going? How's plan B working for you? I'm glad that you're here right now, but, but the reality is you're going to have to go back. Now, this is where it's really, really careful, okay? If you read Genesis chapter 16, I don't think anyone can argue the fact that it appears in this particular story, Hagar's a victim. And some of you are going to make a wrong conclusion, like, why is God sending a victim back into an abusive situation? And I want you to know this. This situation is not every situation. God doesn't put his children in risky situations. But this one thing I know, even to the victims in the room, sometimes you have to go back. Not physically, it may not be wise. But emotionally and spiritually, you may need to go back into the pain of the situation. Sometimes you got to go back to confront the injustice. And that's scary, but this one thing I know, God will go with you. He'll go with you. Sometimes you have to go back in order to forgive because that's where healing happens, even in the most tragic, broken situations. Sometimes you have to go back in your heart and your mind so that you can heal. And in this situation, God promises her, I know it's going to be hard, but don't you forget, I still have a plan A for you, Hagar. And I'll go back with you. And we're going to work some of these details out because, Hagar, here's one thing that that you need to know for sure. Your baby's going to need a dad. So I shared something last night. It just kind of dropped into my brain. And and after our conversation last night, I I, I promised a young man that I spoke to that I was not going to leave this out in any of the services. So I'm just going to say this. There may be some men in this room who are fathers, but years ago, for whatever reason, you chose a plan B and walked away from your children. And I'm calling you as a fellow man to man up, 
take responsibility. Go back and ask for forgiveness, even though you may have no idea what kind of a response you're going to get. But to the dads in the room, that's your plan A, period. I talked with a guy last night sitting in the commons. He said, Grant, 27 years ago, I walked out on a daughter and a son because I thought my plan B was better than God's plan A for me to stay and be a dad to those kids. And years and years and years ago, I reached out to them, and, and they kept me at arm's length for 27 years. I've been praying that God would give me an opportunity to make a wrong right. And just last week, my email box went ding, and there she was. To the dads in the room, plan A your children. Thus saith the Lord. You know why that baby in Hagar's belly was going to need a dad? Because listen to this description. Now I want you to put yourself in Hagar's position. You're a mom and God shows up and describes your kid and this is the description. You are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son and you shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard your misery. Verse 12. And he will be a wild donkey of a man. <laughs> I think I'd appeal it right there. And his hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all of his brothers. Wow. This kid's going to need a dad and a really good mom at the same time. This kid's going to be a fighter. And I want you to know something. I want you to put the pieces together and I want you to be careful where you go here, but I want you to know something. Every time you open up CNN or MSNBC or Fox News or wherever you get your news from and you hear conflict in the middle of the East, I need you to know where it's coming from. It's the sons of Isaac and the sons of Ishmael. And they still don't get along. In fact, my Bible says they're never going to get along until Jesus comes back and brings peace into that situation once and for all. And here's the lesson that we need to learn because of this conflict. Your plan B will never turn out well. It'll only produce more conflict in your life. And next spring, we're going to come back to Genesis 17, and we're going to unpack it. And the reason we're going to wait a whole year is because it's going to take me that long to summon the courage to go there so you can pray all year long. Verse 13 says this, and don't miss it. So even after she gets this this moment where God says, I'm going to walk you back into it and you're going to be okay because I'm going to walk you every step of the way and I'm going to be your courage. Verse 13 is so unbelievably beautiful. As it says, she, Hagar, gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You're the God who sees me. For she said, I've now seen the one who sees me. I don't care how deep you're into plan B. I don't care whether or not you've actually already got to plan C, D, E, and F. Here's what you need to know. The God of plan A sees you. He sees you. He understands all of it. The meltdown and the mess 
and he sees Hagar as one of his children, and he actually begins to create a relationship with her again, and the rest of that will be history. And so right now, in this moment, we're going to have to leave our friends from Genesis and all of their dysfunction. We're going to leave Abraham and Sarah and Hagar there, and we're going to pick it up again next summer as we walk into this but now we got to bring it to right here, right now. Some of you are going, I already got it, Grant. I've been working on plan B way too long. I need to repent and get this thing straight. Do you know what you're coming back to? Because I would encourage you while you're still in the waiting room to remind yourself daily of God's plan A. Because if you are a New Testament follower of Jesus Christ, this is plan A for you. Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. It's not a polite suggestion, it's a commandment. And second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. I got a question. What if Jesus actually meant that? Literally. What, what if that's it every single day of our life? To love God, love people, and love other people to God. What if that's plan A every single day, every single 24 hours for, for you, for the rest of your life, from here until the day you die? What if that is plan A? Well, I think knowing it is one thing, doing it is another. That's why I loved the announcements earlier today because a whole bunch of you took that really, really seriously and you actually took your faith and your action, you stuck them together and we're going to be talking about that in the next couple of weeks because I think you not only need to, to, to realize it and know it, but I think you need to live out the purpose of plan A. Some of you have been a little uncomfortable with the way I've handled Genesis, and I understand where you're coming from, because they're kind of like, Grant, why are we focusing on all the bad stuff in Noah's life and Abraham's life and Adam and Eve's life? And You know, the, re the, the reason it is the same reason why you watch reality TV. Okay, don't pretend you don't watch The Bachelor too. Okay, I'm just saying. But we watch reality TV because we get a chance to look at somebody else's dysfunction, and it makes us feel so good about ourselves, right? I'm like, those people are really messed up, but I'm doing okay. And it's easy to focus on everywhere they got it wrong. It's easy to relate to it. But, but what I love is later on in Scripture, the, the brother of Jesus, James, actually talks about where Abraham got it right. Actually, he changed, God changed his name because he started working on plan A again. And I love these words from James chapter 2. You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. So apparently people who are friends of God go with plan A and don't settle for plan B, C, D, and E. Apparently those people who are friends of God take our faith and our action and we put them together and we live out God's plan A by loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and actually loving our neighbor as ourself. So my question is simple. Do you have the faith to believe that God's plan A is still working? And question number two, what are you going to do about it? You could create a B and settle, but I'll tell you what, if Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar were here right now, they'd go, oh, don't do that. It's not going to go well for you. I think they'd say, if God gives you a plan A, stick with it. It 
works. Not just for you, but all the people around you. So in a moment, we're going to pray. I'm going to commission you to go and do plan A. And then we're going to get six days to live it out. And if we do it, I can't wait to hear the stories. Would you stand with me this morning? Father God, I thank you so much right now for all the people in this room. God, I pray for the legitimate victims who are in this room who got, who got given over to somebody and they didn't have any say, and I pray that they would find healing. And I pray that they would know that there's a God in heaven, a good Father who sees them and loves them and will give them the courage to, to emotionally, spiritually go back so that they can experience healing. And God, I pray that you would provide that healing because you're a good, good Father. God, I pray for any of the dads in this room who, who walked away years ago from relationship with their children and I pray that they'd go back and trust you with the results and the fact that as, as dads, we, we've been called to a plan A, which is to love those kids. And God, I pray for every woman in the room who's had to graciously step in and fill that gap. And God, I pray, pray that they would feel honored and loved today by you. I pray that they would know that they're seen. God, for those of us that just got sick and tired of waiting for plan A and we created our own, our B, our C, our D, God, would you forgive us and bring us back to the simple expression of faith, to love you with everything and to love other people to you. So God, for all of my brothers and sisters who are waiting, would you give us divine patience knowing that your plan A so much better than any plan we could create on our own. So God, give us the grace to put faith and action together. We pray these things in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, and the sleep-in service agreed together and said, Amen. Amen.